Huh. Y'all don't really want the views. Y'all don't really want the view. Wait, 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 wait. Let me cut that off. That's the old song. It don't matter. It don't matter. We here. Episode 15 of The Hezzy. Friday, February 26th. Brought to you by basketballgods.net. Oh, man. So I, I, had a, I had a nightmare last night. I usually don't remember my dreams. You know, it may be because I partake in the natural herbals, but that's a story for another time. But I had a, I wouldn't call it a nightmare. You know, I wouldn't have like sweats or nothing like that, but it was, it was an unpleasant dream. And it was James Wiseman turned into Willie Cauley Stein. <laughs> nah, look, I, I think some people are kind of forgetting who he is. Yes, he's the number two pick with great expectations and potential. He's also a 19-year-old who basically has come out of high school. So, of course, at times he looks soft and looks lost. And if you are 23 years old, you probably don't have the proper you know, perspective. You're too close to being 19 to realize the growth that's happened. You know, Someone like myself, who's almost 40, I'm far enough removed from being 19 to kind of look back and realize how young, dumb, and weak I was at 19, right? So I think people got to kind of temper their expectations currently of what Wiseman is and realize how much potential there is and appreciate the growth that we're seeing. I've also heard the nickname controversy. Don't get me started with the home telecast and the propaganda that goes on there, but let it happen natural. I've been guilty of calling him the 19-year-old or the rookie. And that's the beauty in it. When you're a rookie, he doesn't need one until he's established. Let's, let's find out a little bit more about who he is as a basketball player, and it'll happen naturally. Rookies don't need nicknames, right? Unless your name is like Oneka Nkongu, right? Maybe we want to call him the big O. Probably butchered his name just trying to say that. Anyway, let's move on to what happened last night in the NBA. I want to start with the Sixers-Dallas matchup. I got to say, man, Embiid looks heavier than he did to start the season. Like, is he getting out of shape as the season goes on? Does he have Baron Davis syndrome? I'm rooting for him. I'm rooting for him. I'm skeptical that this is sustainable. He still looks very lumbering up and down the court. And he did not play well. Is it the back? I don't know. Philly fans fill me in, but it, it didn't look great. He didn't look great. I know, you know, overall this year he's been very impressive, but he's, I don't know. Um, but I think the storyline was you saw Ben really bother Luca and, and really just the, the size of the Sixers team bother Luca, right? And it wasn't much of a game. The Sixers dominated the game. Now, to start the second half, Luca comes out in rhythm, three ball, step back, three ball. They come out with a little run here. And it, it definitely felt like if that was the Brent Brown Sixers, they'd have let him back in. It does feel like this version of the Sixers is a more resilient team under Doc with more shooting and maybe just perhaps more maturity, right? But there's these little details. They're up 15 late in the second quarter and Ben strips Luca. They call a foul and he tells Doc, hey, review it, review it, right? And Doc, listen, he, he has their ear because of who he is. He's an OG in the league, right? But he also understands he wants their hearts. He wants them to ride for him. 
And he understands that. And those are the little things. So he takes the challenge and they win it. But mind you, they were up 15 in the first half of a game. Most coaches aren't, aren't using that challenge there. But he knew it was important to Ben because obviously he prides himself on his defense and he wants to steal on Luka. It's these little details that Doc understands because of his journey and his path to where he's at and being a player. And so, you know, I, the Embiid thing aside, I think that's always going to be a concern and you just have to keep your eye on it. I think if you're a Sixers fan, you've got to be optimistic because it just seems like there's more buy-in with Doc. It does seem like it's changed things. Now, maybe that's in part just the maturity of the two stars, right? They're coming into their own as, as men. I had brought this up previously, though. I think the question is, do, do they use Thibel to go get another shooter or scorer off the bench. I know Shake Milton is the hope that he's going to provide there and he's back in the lineup. There's something about Thibault's face, right? It's like his jawline suggests he's not a hunter, right? Thibault's more of a, a gatherer. Thibault, there's, <laughs> there's something about him and, and I understand that he is a crazy defender, but he, that's all he does. He's kind of a specialist. And I think but if you look around the league and all these teams struggling to defend, he's got value. And he probably has more value to another team. So I, I would dangle him out there and see what you could get in return. But, you know, maybe maybe with the emergence of Korkmaz, they don't need more shooting and scoring. I mean, Doc's letting him hit the hookah during timeouts. He's coming out there splashing down threes. So the Sixers are a fun watch. I'm, I'm intrigued. And I'll be honest with you, as far as like East Coast teams go, I'm probably pulling for them the most when it's not your squad or really of interest of it affects your squad in a given season. At least for me, I don't really know how I feel until I'm in the moment, like until the playoffs start and there's a big matchup, you know, Brooklyn, Philly or, you know, Boston, Miami, whatever it is. I won't know until it's in the moment unless it's a squad that I know I dislike. And I don't really have any hate for any of these Eastern Conference teams at the moment. Now, did y'all see Luke Walton? Big mad in New York last night. Big mad. Smashed himself a clipboard after giving up a buck 40 to the Knicks. And I don't want to go too much into Luke Walton, man. Like, he, it, it shouldn't be long before he's coaching high school ball in San Bernardino or something like that, right? Like, Luke, Luke's had his opportunities, man. Because, like, I remember he gets the Lakers job. And obviously, he doesn't have a whole lot to work with with that roster. A lot of young dudes, young Julius Randle, right, D'Lo and stuff like that. And he did have to deal with, you know, the, the Kobe fiasco that final season. But what struck me initially with Luke was like, yo, his rotations are weird. Like, I don't understand his rotations. It's like, OK, he's young, first time coach. He goes to Sacramento. Let's see him get better. Nah, that, that's what sticks out to me. Kings fans, you can chime in at me at Twitter, wherever. Um. To me, it's the rotations that stick out. Obviously, their defense, they've got a lot of problems. But then if you want to talk about big picture here, I'm, I'm going to call out Deer and Fox a little bit. I, I got to do it because I turned on the end of that first half in New York last night, and they're getting throttled. They're down 15, but Deer and Fox has 18 in the half, right? They're headed into the locker rooms, and he's walking off the floor. He's smiling with Reggie Bullock, chopping it up with people courtside. And I was like, man, that just goes to show Fox has been infected with the losing culture. You're getting stomped out here on the road. Not only did it seem like he was okay with taking that whipping, it was almost as if he expected it. But he, he had his 18 points, so he was good. And I think that's kind of like a little 
glimpse into when you hear people talk about a losing culture and these guys that get in there and like Fox, a decorated player, Kentucky, used to winning. And now what is he in year four, five, right? He's just, he's used to losing in Sacramento. It's a frustrating thing to see, man. Second game on TNT was that Bucks pelicans game. Lived up to the hype, man. Not a lot of defense. Fun game, though. Lived up to the hype. About a week ago, I was talking about Giannis developing a go-to spot and move at the elbow where he could face up a la Kevin Garnett. And I had somebody tell me, hey, why would he do that? Mid-range jumpers are not a good shot. Whenever someone tells me, look, a mid-range jump shot is not a good shot, I know you didn't hoop. That's fine. I just it just it's just a, a, a signal to me like, oh, I know you didn't hoop. Look, a mid-range jump shot isn't good for everyone. You don't want to see Draymond taking mid-range jump shots, right? But it's different for everyone. Let me explain a little bit more why I like that spot for Giannis. With his frame and his arms, it's the gather off the bounce that's problematic when it comes to shooting. And it's really the cost of that giant frame and wingspan, right? To sync everything up in a consistent, efficient movement is tough. He's, you know, seven foot tall, eight foot wingspan. When he hangs the ball outside of his body and he's dribbling, there is such a range of motion, if that makes sense. And so when you see him dribbling and gathering from it, it, it's tough to be consistent that way, given his frame. If he shoots from the elbow out of the triple threat, Non-hoopers, what that means is, now I don't want to be condescending, but out of the triple threat, meaning it's not off the dribble. He has a live dribble, but he's, he's pivoting. It's something that can be replicated consistently much more easier because he's not gathering the ball from these different heights and angles. If he's machine gun dribbling the ball, it's you know below his knee, or he's high bouncing the ball up, that variation, that distance is so wide. And again, if he's hanging the ball outside of his body, that's so wide for him to consistently gather it back up into a nice compact shot, you see him having trouble with that. And again, you get him into a triple threat where he can just face up, and then now all of a sudden at that range, it becomes more of a push shot. He doesn't need his legs. And so that's why to me, ultimately, could become a much more efficient shot. And then, oh yeah, he's one dribble away from the rim. And so I saw him use it one time on the baseline last night, but it's not something that he like really seeks and goes to a lot. That is my belief in why it would be effective for Giannis. Let's talk Zion though. Is he not the modern day Shaq? I was watching him move and I was like trying to come up with like a comparison, like Bo Jackson or something. I'm just comparing athletes across in my memory bank. And now, obviously, Shaq was a longer, taller dude, but like that combination of power and quickness, to me, that's the closest thing on a basketball court. And I'm not talking Miami Shaq, right? We're talking Orlando Shaq, Kobe wearing the eight Shaq, right? But back to Zion and last night, it is frustrating to watch these Pelicans not able to get him the ball as much as they should. It was the end of the third, shot clocks off, pick and roll. Eric Bledsoe and Zion, Bledsoe doesn't even look at Zion. He just pulls up and clanks a three, walks off the floor. How old is Eric Bledsoe now? He's got to be in his 30s, right? Because he's still such an unsettling player out there. You're just not sure what he's going to do. And it's one thing to be a young guard that way. He has too much NBA experience to be that unsettled out on the court. 
I think one way to get the ball in his hands more efficiently and more often and utilize him is more dribble handoffs. Get him with the ball in motion, and that's another way to use his gravity. I know they use it at times. I'm saying more, especially considering the fact that they just have such a hard time feeding the post. And I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and act like I've watched every Pelicans game. Credit the Bucks' defense, perhaps. But it just seems like, eh, like if they don't have an initial angle to get him the post and they're quartering him or, you know, like most teams are, they're like, eh, no, nah, let's reverse ball. We'll have we'll have J.J. Redick shoot a three with his diaper on. Oh, I probably should edit that shit out. I'm going to leave it. Down the stretch of this game, it was back and forth, back and forth. Barn burner and Giannis and Zion both brought what we expected. Giannis looked a little chipped up, tweaked the ankle, tweaked the back, but He's as tough as they come, right? Down the stretch, though, I thought it was interesting. Stan Van Gundy, with all his experience, you could hear him in the booth, right, if he was the announcer saying, well, why wouldn't you foul Giannis? You know, there was like a minute left, and he goes coast to coast. Why don't you hack a Giannis? Well, his young team didn't. Lonzo let him go right down the court and dunk the ball. Ten seconds left in the game. They're down three. They steal the ball. I don't know if they had a timeout or not, but I understand Stan not calling the timeout because it, they had the numbers. They had an advantage with the steal. And then you saw Cheeks get real tight. You saw Lonzo coward, right? And they kind of swung it around and they never even got a shot up. Never even got a shot up. You know B.I. was going to take it. The one problem with Brandon Ingram is it takes him a while to get, get into that three ball. It's, it's very much like Giannis, right, where it takes him some time to uncoil all those limbs. And so he doesn't have the quickest trigger, and they end up not even getting a shot off. Shout out to DiVincenzo. Had a career night offensively and really played that third score role for them as they await Drew Holiday's return. He's been, what is it, he's been quarantined? Two weeks, that's tough, man. That's tough. The Nets continue to bury teams with their offensive onslaught, minus Kevin Durant. It was funny, when they listed him out, they were like, he's out two games with a hamstring. Anybody who's pulled a hamstring is like, two games? Two games? Like, why? You know, we all know how problematic that is, and I hope he gets back. I, I want to see him at full strength, but, you know, um, I think it's helped build the chemistry, perhaps, between Kyrie and Harden. Because I think Harden and, and Durant obviously have already have a rapport in an on-court chemistry. So it, it's not necessarily a bad thing for them long-term, so long as KD can get back 100. One thing that I do find funny, though, is, have you noticed? There's a lot of hugging going on amongst the Nets. Harden and Kyrie, they like full-on hugging, like two arms around you, I'm hugging you. <laughs> and... Ain't nothing wrong with it. It just it got me to thinking, like, is this Kyrie's doing? It feels like this is a Kyrie thing where he's like, we must love each other, brothers. We must show full love and affection. Don't pat my butt. Don't dap me. I want a hug. No, I don't know. I, I think it's funny, man. I think it's funny. One thing that I absolutely agree with from Kyrie is the Kobe NBA logo. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you can go hop on his Instagram or wherever social media is. And he had mocked up a new NBA logo where it's Kobe's silhouette. It's time for a change with that, and I think that it's perfectly fitting way to honor Kobe, who dedicated his life to mastering the game and has had the greatest impact on this generation moving forward. Now, the other weird thing that happened last night was the Wizards got a win in, was it in Denver? I don't know. I just saw the end there where the Nuggets, 
down to get a steal, sim- similar to like what the Pelicans did, right? And all of them run to the three-point line, and it's Compazzo who misses a three left to win the game rather than someone going to the hoop and tying it. And as foolish as it looked, it wasn't surprising. Perhaps it's a sign that your roster is a little unbalanced, but probably not. I think a lot of teams would have played it that way. I think it's the times that we're in right now with basketball, but I think it's a good thing for a couple teams to fail doing it at the end of a game, late game situation where there's more of a magnifying glass on it, right? Because it's a little bit of a reality check to the league. Like some of this three-point shooting is out of hand. I understand that it's here to stay. Because of the numbers, the analytics, and it just makes sense. And that's why you see teams are able to come back from down 15 and 20 every night, right? There's these huge swings. My problem with it ultimately is you've got staffs and teams green lighting guys that are having a hard time sniffing 30% from out there. Shooters shoot, right? So what what should be the new saying? If you're not a shooter, don't shoot. (laughs) It's that simple. And so I think that they're green lighting too many people. Denver takes the L. Washington continues to sniff around the playoff hunt. All right, I'm going to wrap this up with a question. And it's going to be another Warrior question because, I mean, that's my squad. Those of you that aren't familiar with my background, I was born and raised a Warriors fan. And that's what I started covering with. So a lot of, a lot of people that follow me are Warrior fans. And that's the team where I have my strongest opinions. But Y'all, if y'all are tired of the warrior questions, go ahead and ask me something else. Uh, at Uncle Alchemy or Athletic Alchemy on Instagram, you can DM me there or at me on Twitter. And uh, you can ask me anything about hoops, anything about sports. We, we can fit these in here. This question comes from Young Tuss. If Kelly Oubre decides to stay with Clay Thompson back, who hits the bench? Kelly or Wiggins? Draymond, right? Nah. First, I think I think it's probably more accurate to say if the Warriors decide to keep him rather than if Kelly decides to stay. Now, it's don't get me wrong; it's a two way street. The Warriors own the Warriors own his bird rights, so it's more of a thing of are the Warriors going to match whatever deal that he's offered? Because you look at the way that all of a sudden he's sunk up with this team and the system. It's an all you can eat buffet for him in that dunker spot and, and cutting on the baseline. So you'd imagine. As long as he was getting paid accurately, he'd want to be a part of this moving forward. The question is, do the Warriors want him to be? There's no doubt that they'd love to keep Oubre, but at what cost? As far as who would start, I think, here's the thing. I could see Clay coming off the bench the first month of the season. If that, it it all depends on Clay, right? Clay does what he wants, we know. But if Clay is like, yeah, let, let me come in with the second unit and let me ease my way back and find my confidence. It'll be designed around Clay and what he wants, but we know Clay and he likes to let him hang. So you assume Clay wants to start and match up immediately against the best of the best. So then, yeah, one of Kelly or Wiggs goes to the bench. I think the optics are that you have to start Wiggins because he's a max player, right? But you could also make the argument that if you put Wiggins with the second unit, kind of force him to be more aggressive and look for his. I don't have a definite answer for you. Obviously, we're a ways away from that. We don't even know if Oubre will be there. But if I were to guess, it would be Oubre. It'd be Oubre, just because of the optics of it. All right, I'm going to wrap this one up. This is the Hezzy, brought to you by basketballgods.net. Y'all have a good weekend. I'm out, y'all.